John chapter number 3. Find your place there in John chapter number 3. Uh, we as a church family, we, we've, had, we've had two different funerals this week and, and possibly another one uh, coming up. And uh, our, our church family needs prayer. Uh, pray that God will touch them and help them. Uh, that God will, God will just give them peace. I, there's something about the Lord. Uh, he, can, he can get us through difficult circumstances with peace that you can't explain. You just can't explain. So, so we'll be praying for them. But as we do that, let's look in John chapter number 3. Uh, we are in chapter 3 in our study. And so let's look at it this morning or this evening. Sometime today, let's look at John 3. <laughs> this has been a week. I'm not going to lie. This has been a week from, from UAB Hospital to Children's Hospital to, to everything in between. Uh, but God knows all about that. So we'll, we'll, we, just wherever you want to read, let's read, all right? Everywhere is good, amen? All right, here we go. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say it. Remember when we said that word verily? That means truly, truly. In other words, it means pay attention, pay attention. What I'm fixing to say is very important. What I'm fixing to say is very significant. Perk up and pay attention. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Say amen right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doth trust cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here tonight. It is truly an honor and a privilege to be able to stand in, the, in a place where your people are gathered together, where the church is gathered together in this one building, here to hear your word and hear a word from uh, their Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that they will not leave disappointed. I pray that you'll meet the needs of everyone here. God, I desperately need your touch and your anointing tonight. I, I need you to move in a way that, that I can't on my own. Lord, I pray that you'll take your word, your truth that you've given us. I pray that you'll edify the saints tonight. And I pray, God, that we can leave saying that we have been, we have been encouraged, we have been lifted up, and, Lord, we have been blessed. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. <clears throat> In this particular study, I, I, I put a, I put a, a, a little story, uh, uh, an illustration in the very beginning of your notes, and I want to I read that before we begin. It says, not only was Benjamin Franklin a great statesman and inventor, 
but he was also a great correspondent and, and received letters from famous people from all over the world. One day, he received what could well have been the most important letter ever to come to his desk. It was from the well-known British, uh, British preacher George Whitfield. He said, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world, Whitfield wrote. As you have made such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity, I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when mastered, will richly repay you for your pains. Uh, he was saying, there's a lot of stuff on this planet you can learn. It's, it's really good and really important and really helpful. But the most important thing we could ever know, the most important thing we could ever learn, the most important thing we could ever get is understanding the new birth. We, we, we use the phrase all the time. I say we do. Most, most Christian churches and Christian people, if, if you've grown up in church or been around church any, in any part of your life, you've heard the phrase or you've heard the term born again. How many of y'all would agree with that? You must be born again. I mean, if, you, you, if you've born in the, in the Bible belt, you've heard that phrase, born again. And, and so here we find Jesus beginning that, that particular teaching. Uh, he's, he's doing miracles. This is, really, this is really the first time in the beginning where he begins to talk about why he came. Uh, here he begins to, to describe and introduce to us salvation. Why did Jesus come? Salvation. Why did Jesus die? Salvation. Why did he have to hang on a cross? Salvation. Why did he raise from the dead? Salvation. Somebody say amen. So he begins to teach about this and, and describe this. And so as we go through the study, let's talk about the new birth here a little bit and see what we can learn. First, number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to look at the seeker. We find a man in verse number one who comes to Jesus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night. And he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. First, I want you to see, I want you to see, A, his lofty credentials. His lofty credentials. Write that, write that in your notes there. This was, this was not just some man off the street. This was not just, uh, just somebody that's curious about the miracles, somebody that's interested in and the ability that Jesus has. This is a very religious man. He was a Pharisee. I'm going to give you some background information on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We talked last week about the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Uh, and, and so I want to tell you and explain the difference between these two groups of people and explain what the Sanhedrin was, because he was part of the Sanhedrin here in uh, Jerusalem, all right? So now I want you to see this. Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were a small legalistic sect of the Jews who were known for their rigid adherence to the ceremonial fine points of the law. There was approximately, approximately 6,000 of these individuals who were very legalistic, very determined. Uh, their name means separated ones. Jesus usually conflicted with this group of people. He rebuked them for using human tradition to nullify the Scripture, and especially for rank hypocrisy. Now, this was a group of people who had taken God's word. If you're not familiar with this, there, were, there was the written law and the oral law. There was the Mishnah and the Torah. Okay, the Torah was God's written law that God gave to Moses, the first five books of the Bible. If that makes sense, say amen. This is what God said on Mount Sinai. This is the word. This is the law. This is my commandments, the Torah. Okay, when the nation of Israel went into captivity... They were, they were there for an extended period of time, 70 years, uh, and, and, we find, and we find that as they were growing up in that culture, growing up in that environment, growing up in that atmosphere, you have little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls who began to look and act more Babylonianish than they did Jewish. So the, the nation of Israel, the elders, the leaders, that wigged them out completely. So they begin to add some stuff. You know, God's, God's law is not enough. we got to help it. Y'all remember Eve? You know, God said, don't eat of this fruit. And Eve said, we're not supposed to eat of that fruit, and neither can we touch it. I don't know what it is about us humans, but we just think we got to help God with stuff. Amen? God's law is not enough, so we're going to add to it. Well, they begin to add stuff. They begin to add their own version and their own... Uh, 
application or their interpretation of God's law. How many of y'all remember the phrase, uh, a Sabbath day's journey? A Sabbath day's journey. He went a Sabbath day's journey, okay? What that is and what that explains is God said rest on the Sabbath. That was the Torah, okay? That was the Torah. God said, he said his specific words were rest on the Sabbath. Well, man felt like they need to help God so you could help understand what that means. And so in the Mishnah, they said you can only take a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath day. And whatever that number was, it was counted up. If you took over that amount of steps, then that meant you worked that day. So you could only go a certain amount of a Sabbath day's journey. Does that make sense? So here you have the Torah. Here you have the Mishnah. Amen? Well, the, 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 the Pharisees were very legalistic. I mean, they were, they were black and white. They were down the line. They were totally, totally all the ceremonial rituals to the point, not only God's law, but their own too. And they kept, they kept an iron fist over the people, ruling the people and, and leading the people to the point that God said, you're holding the people to a standard you're not even following. And the problem with being re, uh, legalistic is it's such an outward thing. It's such an outward thing. You could, you could look good on the outside. You can talk about all the these and the thous and the do's and the don'ts and everything you don't do or everything you do and everything that everybody else does, and you can judge yourself by what everybody else does. How many of y'all know that sometimes that you can make yourself look good by stepping beside the right person? Y'all with me? But when it comes to righteousness, you're not stepping horizontal. You're stepping vertical. And when you stand before God, you're not righteous at all. But the problem with the Pharisees is that they begin... You remember, here, here's the illustration. You remember when Jesus talked about the Pharisee that was in the temple... And there was, there was a publican in there praying. There was a sinner in there praying. And he was just broken. He just smote his chest and, and have mercy on me, God. And the Pharisee was over here and he was thanking God that he wasn't like him. You see the hypocrisy? Because he, he lined himself up by what he compared with this other guy. Well, this is the crowd. This is the crowd that Nicodemus come out of. Very legalistic. Very, very religious, very ritualistic. Now, but here's the thing. Don't, it's easy to say because, you know, sometimes, sometimes when, you, uh, when you critique a Christian, you, you call them a Pharisee. You know, it's, it's, it's like there's a slang or whatever, a hypocrite. Uh, you're, boy, you're acting like a Pharisee. Well, the thing is, not all Pharisees were hypocrites. Not all Pharisees were hypocrites. There were some Pharisees that were, that were legit, and they were real, and they were seekers, and they wanted to do right. And they loved God, and they, they had a zeal for God, and they wanted to be right to the point that they could be, uh, you know, just, just militant about it. Well, I believe Nicodemus falls in that category. I don't believe he was, he was the hypocritical Pharisee as much as he was one that just wanted to be right with God. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, let me describe the Sadducees a little bit. All right, <clears throat> the Sadducees. The Sadducees were known for denying the supernatural, including the resurrection of the dead. You remember last week we said that the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they didn't believe in the existence of angels either. Now, unlike the Pharisees that rejected human tradition, or excuse me, they, the Sadducees, rejected human tradition, and they accepted only the Pentateuch, only the Torah as authoritative and scorn legalism. They tended to be wealthy, aristocratic members of the priestly tribe, and in the days of Herod, they controlled the temple. Though they numbered fewer than the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had little in common. The Pharisees were ritualists. The Sadducees were rationalists. The Pharisees were legalists. The Sadducees were liberals. The Pharisees were separatists. The Sadducees were compromisers and political opportunists, yet they united. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that hate can bring people together? We talk about love bringing people together, but hate can bring you together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Hello? Well, 
there's one thing. The Sadducees hated Jesus and the Pharisees hated Jesus. So they came together and they forgot about their differences because they hated Jesus and wanted to get rid of him. They were both, listen, hypocrites in that manner. All right. Uh, John publicly addresses them, the, the, the Sadducees, uh, as uh, uh, deadly snakes and trying to flee the wrath to come. Now, secondly, secondly, we see he's a Pharisee. So he's very legalistic. He is very, uh, he is very religious, if you will. Uh, he's very learned. He's very educated. Now, not only is he a Pharisee, he is part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the Sanhedrin. Jesus called him a master in Israel. He was a master leader in Israel. So what is the Sanhedrin? You know, the Sanhedrin is the group of people that they brought Jesus before, right before they crucified him. How many of y'all are still following me and I haven't lost you yet? Okay, you're still with me. Okay, now watch. Let me describe the Sanhedrin. The great Sanhedrin was the supreme court of Israel, consisting of 71 members presiding over by the high priest. They met daily in the temple to hold court, except on the Sabbath and the holy days. Technically, they did not have the power to administer capital punishment. That's why they turned Jesus over to the Romans. Uh, but in the case of Stephen, for example, this, did, this lack did not deter his stoning. Roman governors evidently sometimes ignored such incidents as a matter of political expediency. And in Jesus' case, the men who are trying him are the same ones who, who are conspiring against him. All right? So that's basically saying <coughs> the Sanhedrin was Jesus' judge uh, and his prosecuting attorney and all wrapped into one. So we find this man Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus, and according to this chapter, he's coming by night. Now, there's several, there's several ideas about this. I, I, I've read several commentaries and several Bible theologians that, that kind of disagreed on, on why he particularly came at night. Uh, one, one believed that he didn't want to be interrupted. Jesus had a busy schedule. He had a busy schedule, and he wanted to be able to sit uh, unrestricted and uninterrupted uh, by the Lord uh, or, or by anybody else with the Lord. Uh, but some believe, I, I tend to believe this, this way, uh, some believe that Nicodemus was a little bit afraid of his stature and his standing with the Pharisees. Because if he is found talking with this man who's technically the enemy, he may lose his status, he may lose his place as a part of the Sanhedrin, as a part of the Pharisees. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a, he could lose a lot if he's connected. Because you got to understand, Jesus wasn't fully understood or fully figured out. That's why he's here. Some believed he was a cult leader. Some believed that he was a, a troublemaker, uh, uh, someone who would lead a rebellion. So they did not really get who Jesus was. So here we have him. Here we have him. Uh, uh, somebody who I believe personally, I believe was a real seeker i don't believe i don't believe that he was the hypocritical part i don't believe that he was one uh uh and we, and we know that he became a believer because he helped with the burial of the lord jesus christ if you follow me say amen okay so first we see his lofty credentials secondly write this down not only his lofty credentials but i want you to see his looking confession his looking confession look what he says they, the, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And the miracles we find in chapter number 2, toward the end of chapter number 2, Jesus is healing people. Broken people, hurting people, needing people. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is doing, Jesus is doing what no man can do. And here we find Nicodemus, he knows there's something different about this guy. There is something different about this person. I've heard about him. We've heard the stories. We've heard the rumors. I've seen what he can do. I've seen his miracles. There is something different. Okay? Now watch this. This is something. You, you don't have to write this down, but this is just something I'm thinking. Do you realize? I, I've heard people say, well, people are just not looking for God. I don't believe that's necessarily true in our world. I believe people are looking they just don't know what they're looking for. People are looking to psychics. 
People are looking to hotlines. People are looking to drug dealers. People know there's something missing. There's something needing, and they don't know what. Here we find a guy who should have been fulfilled, who should have been secure in his belief, who should have been satisfied. But guess what? Even religion will leave you empty. Materialistic thinking will leave you empty. All the freedom of this world and all the sin of this world will leave you feeling unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and empty. Even religion. You can know every book of the Bible. You can attend every single church service. You can be dunked in the baptistry 17 times. You can do everything and follow all the rules and follow all the regulations and do everything and not know Jesus and be empty. You can have it all and not know him. But see, he's seeking. He said, I want, hey, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We, sometimes, sometimes, uh, I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous of, of, uh, missionaries that come in, uh, from, from the field and like, not like Nepal and, 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 and India and some places there in, in, in China and, and places when, when missionaries come in and, and, and I've seen pictures, man, I've seen pictures when, when the plane's flying in and, and people are going nuts all over the hillside because they're flying in with a Bible. A Bible in their own language, and they're, they're just going crazy. I've seen, I've seen pictures of them. I just take a book or a box of Bibles and throw them up in the air in a room, and people just, just mob it and, and grab the Bible and hug the Bible and kiss the Bible, and they're so excited. And, 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 and man, all you got to do is go say, Jesus loves you, Jesus will save you. And, man, they're ready to get saved. They're hungry for truth. And, they're, and man, I tell you what, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little jealous of that. Because we are, we are operating in the Bible Belt. We are operating in such a Bible-saturated society and atmosphere that everybody in the world, listen, everybody around us, they've heard something about Jesus. They've heard something about And even, even if they're lost, they'll tell you they're saved. They, they'll tell you they're saved. <laughs> We have people. We have people that visit a temple twice in a year, and you say, uh, "Do you get to go to church?" You "Oh yeah, I go to temple." Do you see the mentality? And and here's 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 what I'm seeing though. Even though it's difficult, even though it's harder to to to, to minister and reach people in a in a biblical or, or a Bible saturated society. People are still looking for something that's real. And when they find something that's real, they will connect. The problem is, is you go to churches all over the place that has false advertising on the sign. We have what you're looking for. Well, they go in, and that's not what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for death. I wasn't looking for boredom. I wasn't looking for a building full of snobs. Say amen. I was looking for something real. I was looking for something that would get me off of meth. I was looking for something that would change me into a good daddy or a good husband or a good mama or a good wife. I'm looking for something that's real. You know what Nicodemus is saying here? I know the law. I know the scriptures. I know the Old Testament prophets. I know everything I've been learning, and I know everything I've been taught. I know everything that's there, but there's something that's missing, and I know you're real. Nobody can do what you do. There's something about you, and I need to know I'm looking. I'm looking. I want, I want what's real. I don't want the imitation. I don't want the fake. I don't want the manufactured. I want what's real. He's looking. Then, then see, write this down. Not only do we see his lofty credentials, but his looking confession. He said, man, there's something missing. I need to know who you are. I need to know what you're about. Then I want you to see his lost condition. <clears throat> his lost condition. Look what Jesus says. You say, what does Jesus do? He answers a question that he didn't ask. Did y'all catch that? Let's go back a minute. Let's go back a minute. Go back to 
verse 23, verse 23 of chapter 2. Back up, back up, back up to the, the chapter before. All right, you remember Jesus doing all these miracles and everybody's believing in him. I'm putting quotes up there. Don't you see these air quotes, but they're there. They're saying they're believing in him. But you remember what we learned last week? They're not believing in the message. They're believing in the miracle. They're not, they're not, looking, they're not looking for substance. They're looking for the spectacular. And Jesus knows that because he knows their heart. Look what it says. Now when he, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name, and when they saw the miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Remember what we said in the original Greek, that word commit and the word believe there is the same exact word. And basically what it's saying is they believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. Jesus knew their heart. You remember, you remember when, when, when we, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000? And man, they was all about that. They was all jacked up about that. They said, man, they were so excited, they're going to make him king. Isn't it amazing when the people get a handout, they want that person to be the leader. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that they didn't care about who he was. They didn't care about why he came. All they cared about is somebody is here that can feed us for free. And so what did he do? He taught on the bread of life. And guess what? That big crowd, they thinned out in a hurry. And Jesus knew it. He knew their heart. Well, here we find the same thing going on. Nicodemus is coming to him and saying, hey, there's something about you. Now, he don't come out and say it. But guess what? Jesus knows his heart. So Jesus goes right, he goes right to the point of the matter. He goes right to the, I mean, he don't even, he don't even beat around the bush about anything. He just goes right to the deal and tells, tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. What, what is he saying? Well, we see this. He's saying this, your religion ain't going to cut it. How many laws you follow, that's not going to get it done. The reason you're feeling empty, the reason you're sitting here talking to me right now, is because you're lost. Let me tell you guys, the hardest thing in the world is not to get saved. That's the easiest thing in the world. Most of the time, especially in the Bible Belt, the hardest thing in the world is to get lost. Because when you've gone to church since you was a little kid, and you've gone to Sunday school, and you have somewhat of a, an understanding or somewhat of, of a background, and you know about God, it's very easy, it's very easy to be deceived. When, when biblical knowledge does not equal biblical salvation, it can help lead you to salvation, but it is not salvation in and of itself. If you're with me, say amen. So he says, you've got a problem. You're lost. You must be born again. Now we know Jesus, he likes to speak in spiritual terms. So we see he reveals, he reveals his lost condition. Even though he's a master of their religion, even though he's a master of the law, he was still lost, okay? That's the seeker. Number two, I want you to see number two, the sermon. The sermon. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, thee. I want you to see this about Jesus and the way he addresses. It was directed personally. It's directed personally. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now, you say, why is that significant? They... The Jewish people were very confident. They were very confident. Matter of fact, to the point of overconfident in their heritage, in their bloodline. In other words, in other words, we're going to make it to heaven because we're Abraham's children. We belong. We're the, we're God's chosen people. So they they believe because of their heritage. Because of their background, because of their bloodline, they was good to go. But watch what Jesus did. He just went past everything and everybody and went right to him. 
and said, I'm telling you, I'm speaking specifically to you, you must be born again. And let me tell you something, guys. God is a personal God. Salvation is a personal issue. I had a preaching daddy and a shouting mama. I went to Sunday school my entire life. Half of my family, uh, aunts and uncles, ended up being saved before I got here. My dad was the first one, and he was leading them like crazy to Jesus. And here they come. And I, So I had aunts and uncles that were Sunday school teachers telling me all about God. But that did not get me in. It came when it was personally, when God came to me personally. Are y'all with me? He, he directed the sermon to him, to him. And you know what? Here's the thing. I, I think every time we come to church, every time we come to church, we should not be... be <laughs> I'll tell you the story. You've heard this before. But uh, there was an old boy in church, and, uh, and, and he's the worst sinner in church. I mean, pure tea heathen. And it just irritated the fire out the preacher. So every single Sunday... He'd, he'd, he'd just try to figure out a sermon just for that one individual. And after church, you know, in the, in the old-time church, preacher always stood on the back door, and everybody shook his hand on the way out and said, you know, good sermon, whatever. And, and every time he'd go to leave, and he'd say, Boy, preacher, you sure gave it to him today. <laughs> and then make that preacher so mad. I mean, he was thinking, I, in the back of it, he couldn't say it because, you know, preachers aren't supposed to preach at people. So he couldn't admit it, but he was thinking in his mind, I'm talking to you, you turkey. Well, as, as fate would have it, one particular day it snowed like the dickens. I'm talking about snowed in like crazy. And the only person to show up to church was guess who? That's right. And guess what? That tickled the preacher to death. He says, I got him today. I got him today. And son, he started in Genesis and with both barrels, wide open. I mean, all the way to the book of Revelation. He preached against every sin he knew. I mean, he let him hold it. He said, he's going to get it today. At the end of the sermon, the preacher goes to leave. And the old fellow said, hey. I tell you what, preacher, if they'd have been here, you'd have sure gave it to them. Amen? <laughs> Are y'all with me? <laughs> little Johnny little Johnny came home, <clears throat> and, 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 and at, at Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher was trying to teach on the dangers of alcohol. You know, how, how dangerous alcohol is, you, you, you know? And she took a glass of water, and she took a glass of alcohol, and... And she dropped a worm in the water, and it, it, it was swimming around, and, and then dropped a worm in the alcohol, and it just killed it right away. And, 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 and Mama says, is that right? She said, well, Johnny, what did you learn today? I said, well, I learned if you you got worms, you need to drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> I don't think he got it, Amen. Now, how many, how many people are like that in church? Every sermon, every sermon, now think about this. I know that's funny, but let's be serious a minute. Every sermon is for everybody else but them. You know what we need to do? No matter what the preacher's preaching on, God, tell me what I need. Apply it to my life. I love the song that says, It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And all God's people say it. Jesus in his sermon, just like he always does, he directs it personally, personally. God didn't come to save y'all. God came to save you. Salvation is an individual, personal issue. Somebody say amen. All right, not only was it directed personally, <clears throat> I say unto thee, it was, it was perceived in a difficult way. He just could not get it. He said, how can these things be? How can these things be? Let, let's, let's look at how Jesus responded. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot... What's that word? All right, let's back up. Verse number 3. Verse number 3, not verse number 5. Verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot 
see the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? He's not talking about this. You can apply it that way. Now, the kingdom of God he's in reference to here, all throughout the ages, there has been a promise of a kingdom, a promise of a messianic hero to come and set up a kingdom and they would rule and reign the earth and the world and all that and they were looking toward that and, and which literally they were looking toward the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ that we learn about in the book of Revelation. How many of y'all know what I'm saying right there? So as he's using that to introduce him to truth, he's saying look, unless a man is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you can apply it to this, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this. And using the word see as, in other words, how we use the term. You see what I mean? You see what I'm talking about? Now, when we use it that way, what we're saying is, are you understanding? Are you getting it? If you're with me, say amen. If you see it, say amen. Okay, you see the point? I did it again. I can't stop myself. Amen. You know what he's saying here? This is something that's going to be spiritually discerned. Unless you're born again, you're not going to get it. No matter how I try to explain it. And by the way, he explains it in a little more. We're going to read in just a minute. He still isn't getting it. What's the point? What's the point? There's some things about the kingdom. There's some things about God. There's some things about spiritual things. And unless you're born again, you're never going to get. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to believe that Bible as soon as I understand it. You're going to have a hard time. Because this Bible is spiritually discerned. This Bible is not a comic book. It is not the Reader's Digest. It is not a novel. It is not a newspaper. It's God's holy word. And it will be revealed by His Holy Spirit. Say amen. Now watch, now watch. Let's go into this. He's having problems. So Jesus defined it practically. Jesus is so awesome that way. He sees that he's not getting it, so he, he goes to explain it. He says, Nicodemus is thinking the physical. All right? He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's talking about the impossible, but he's talking about the physical. So Jesus explains it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, don't let somebody tell you that that's talking about water baptism. That is not talking about water baptism. Water baptism does not wash away any sin. If I thought that, I'd be at the front door with a water hose when y'all come in here tonight. Are y'all with me? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Salvation does not come by baptism, it comes by faith. For by grace are you saved through, are y'all with me? This is not water baptism. He's, in, in the next verse, the next verse, one thing about studying your Bible, if you, you get confused about something, you want to, to uh, interpret it, many times you can either read before it to explain it or after it and it'll explain it. Well, in this case, the verse right after explains what he's talking about. Let's look at it. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is... Okay, Well, so what's he talking about? In the water, when you are born, when you are born into this world, you are born in a sack of water. You are born of water into this physical world to be born into the spiritual world world you have to be born of the spirit you see he's talking about because he knows what is what is uh what is nicodemus thinking when he said you must be born again automatically nicodemus was thinking about the physical right so jesus takes up right where he is Right where he is, he's thinking about the physical. So Jesus starts there, and he said, Look, you don't just have to be born physically. You have to be born spiritually. Right, does this make sense, everybody? All right? Now, let's talk about that just a second. Let's talk about that just a second. Uh, why, is that, why is that needful? Why is that important? What, this new birth thing, what, what are we talking about? What is, what is being born? Because most of the time when we think about birth, we're talking about physically. 
Somebody is physically born. A, a baby is born into this earth. If that makes sense, say amen. But what is Jesus talking about? If we go, we, and we're going to have to go all the way back to the garden. We're going to have to go all the way back to the garden to figure this out. What he's talking about. If we go all the way back to the garden and we'll find Adam and Eve there. Well, Adam, when he was created, he was created a trichotomy. A body, soul, and spirit. Say that with me. A Right? Are y'all with me? A body, soul, and spirit. God gave him some instructions and said, look, you, have, you can have at it. There's no rules. There's no rules. You, you lead. You guide. You till the garden. You do your thing. But here's, here's, there's one rule that we're going to have. All right? There's one, there's one responsibility you're going to have to understand. There's a, there's a tree in there, a, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have anything in this garden you want, but you can't have that one. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of that fruit, ye shall surely die. Okay? All right? Uh, I've, I've had two funerals this week, uh, uh, and, 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 and one possibly coming up in, in a couple days. And, uh, and, 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 and when we go there, we see a physical situation. The death of the physical body. The physical body ceases to operate. It ceases to, to work, if you will. Are y'all with me? Okay, so if we're, we're when, when Adam sinned in the garden, now how many of y'all know God can't lie? If he said it, it's going to happen. Period. It's going to happen, right? So he said, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Now, here's the thing. Eve, when she took of the fruit, she ate it, and if it was talking about a physical death, then she would have died before she was able to give it to Adam. Are y'all with me? And not only that, not only that, when Adam took of the fruit, he still lived after that. He lived, matter of fact, he lived to be 930 years old. So we know he's not talking about a physical death. So let's take that off the table. And so we know he's not talking about a physical birth happening again. All right? We said man was a body, soul, and spirit, right? So, so it wasn't the body that died. Adam lived to 930 years old. Now, we know it's not the soul because the Bible says that when he formed man out of the dust of the ground, he formed and made his body, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And that word means never dying. God put a part of himself into every single person that is born upon this earth. Every single person has a soul that is immortal that will live forever and ever and ever, either in heaven or in hell. So the soul cannot die. The soul will never die. The soul will be in existence somewhere forever. If you follow me, say amen. So we can scratch off the body. It wasn't a physical death. It wasn't the soul because the soul cannot die. So what died in the garden? It was their, their spirit. You say, what's significant about that? You remember in John chapter number uh, John chapter number 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and they're talking about worship, and they're discussing worship, and, and this is what Jesus said, that God is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, right? So if we're going to connect with God and we're going to be worshipping God, we have to worship in the spirit. Now watch this. Adam was connected with God. God came and walked in the cool of the day. In the cool of the day, he had fellowship with Adam, and he had a connection with Adam. They were there. Guess what? Guess what? When he sinned, their spirit died. The connection that God had with Adam and Adam had with God, it was broken. Now watch what happens. God comes into the garden, and this is what happens. Adam! The connection was broken. His spirit had died. And now he's a soul and a body. And, and you see, he cannot distinguish and understand spiritual things till his spirit is reborn. Ye must be. Ye must be born again. And so Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus, I'm not talking about the physical I'm not talking about a physical body being born again. I'm talking about the spiritual. And he compares and he explains it this way. <clears throat> he, expares, he, ex he explains the spirit 
with the wind. Look what he says. Marvel not, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But cannot tell when it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What's he saying? You can't see the wind. You can't really predict the wind. And you sure can't control the wind. Y'all with me? It comes and it goes. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You cannot control that part. And he compares that to the Spirit. The Spirit is something you cannot see. But watch this. You can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. You, y'all missed a good shouting point right there. You have people that come up to this altar, and you, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit gets all over them, and they come a heathen, they come a wicked, vile sinner with a crazy reputation. And you can't see what's happening to them, but something's happening to them. But you know this, you can see what the product is, because when they get back up, they different. And that's what he's saying. He said, you can't see it, but you can see what it does. This is good stuff, I'm just telling you right now. This is good. This is a spiritual thing. He says this, look, I'm explaining to you the in a way you need to understand. And, and this is what Nicodemus said. I still don't get it. Now watch, watch Jesus' response. Watch Jesus' response. In verse number, let's see. <clears throat> Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? You know what he's, it, the literal translation is that is this. You are the, you are the teacher in Israel. I mean, there, there's, no, and there, there's no bigger dog on the totem pole. If there's anybody that should be able to understand what I'm saying, it's you. Now, what is this telling us? This is telling us the literal darkness that the nation of Israel had fallen into when it comes to spiritual things. That the highest, the greatest teacher in Israel was totally oblivious and totally blind to the simplest spiritual truth. Preacher, what he's saying, the nation of Israel is in a bad way. And all God's people said, Verily, verily, look out, there's them words again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. And when he says ye, he's talking about the whole Sanhedrin. Because Jesus already knows that the whole crowd does not like him, and they are not believing him. They're not, they're, 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 they just, and here's the thing. Part of the reason they're blind is because of their unbelief. Because the way this thing works, how many of y'all have ever heard the phrase, seeing is believing? How many of y'all have heard that? Well, guess what? In Christianity, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Believing is seeing. You're not going to see till you... And see, this is their problem. They didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, they were having a hard time... Amen. Now watch. If I have told, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now, now Jesus, he, 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 understands, he understands the significance of where Nicodemus is spiritually and where Nicodemus is understanding. So he goes back to a story. He goes back to a story he knew Nicodemus would remember because the story of Moses in the wilderness with the serpents is probably so well known amongst all the Israelites so he goes back and here's a great point here's a great point this is not in your notes and, and, and I'm probably running a rabbit but we need to run this for just a minute this teaches us a very important thing we should never expect people to be where we are there's, I, I, I've seen preachers, I, I'm telling you, to the point that they said, you know, instead of getting...
getting down to where people are and helping them get up to where they need to be. They just stand in a lofty place and expect them to. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. He understands the significance of the situation. He understands that he's still not getting it. So he goes back to something that he will understand and he will get that will make sense to him. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Now watch what he does. Here we find, here we find the explanation, and I want you to see the Savior. We see, A, if you're taking notes, and i got to hurry because we're running out of time. But here we find the Savior. A, I want you to see the lesson he reminded He goes back in history, and he wants to talk about this in verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, let me me describe that. This is a story in, in Numbers 21. If you were here Easter Sunday, you heard me say something about this. In, in the Old Testament, if you'll go back to the book of Numbers, you'll, you'll find this, that the nation of Israel was rebelling against God. Specifically, they were rebelling against God's man. I heard a preacher preach on this one time, and he said they didn't like the way he led, they didn't like what he said, and they didn't like what he fed. Because <clears throat> they whined against, uh, about the manna, they whined about where they were, and they whined about everything about his leadership and what he told them. And they were just whining, 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 murmuring is the word, the terminology. Well, God got sick of it. God got sick of it. So he sent fiery serpents to bite them. And because of the fiery serpents, they, get, they got bit, and, and, and the, the bite was very, very painful, and they, many of them died. Well, they start dying. Well, because of God's grace, amen, Moses entreated God on their behalf and said, hey, 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 please, let's, let's help, have mercy. And so God tells him what to do. He says, I want, and by the way, Remember this. This is just another thing you can throw in here. Everything God did in the Old Testament was to point and teach people about the New Testament. Everything. Every character, every story was God saying, my son's coming. Joseph is one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible. Isaac is a great type of Christ in the Bible. You say, what do you mean? Isaac goes up the hill. Goes up the hill carrying the wood on his back, which is a type of the cross of Christ. Isaac is laid as a, as a substitutionary sacrifice. Somebody say it, man. Amen. A father is sacrificing his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Joseph, the greatest type of Christ in all of the Bible, he was hated by his brethren. He was a favorite son. He went, listen, he, he went to a Gentile nation and he took a Gentile bride. Somebody say amen. He was sold for silver. You know what all that is? It's a great story. It's an awesome situation. God was lining it all up, but through the whole thing, God was saying, I'm pointing to my son. All through the Old Testament, God is saying, my son is coming. There's coming a Savior. There's coming a Messiah. And guess what? In the Gospels, God is saying, He's here, He's here, He's here. So when we know that, and we go back and read this story, that serpent, you remember? The serpent was the cause. How many of y'all was here Easter Sunday? Y'all remember this, right? That the cause had to be in likeness, or excuse me, the cure had to be in likeness to the cause. The cause was serpents. So he made Moses make a brass serpent and hang it on a pole and hold it up. And all that was was another picture of the coming Messiah and the coming Son of God. And and Jesus is even admitting this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he was predicting Calvary. Are y'all with me? Not only was he predicting the crucifixion in Calvary and the payment for the sin of mankind, he was showing us what we had to do today. Do you know what we need to do to reach sinners? Lift him up. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. Somebody say amen. So now we go into this story. Now we go into this explanation. And Jesus begins to tell him. So look here. He reminds him of the lesson. But then... Then the second thing, the second thing, not only we see a lesson he reminded, but then B, we see a love that he revealed. 
a love that he, and this is probably the most, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. Verse 16, for God so loved the world. For God, let me back up, let me back up. He ties, <clears throat> he ties the Old Testament story for a New Testament principle. Let's go back to verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, he tells him why he came. Because of love. God loves you. You know, I think if you grow up in a Christian home, I think the first song any little uh, 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 little baby Christian uh, learns, or baby baby person in a Christian home, uh, ain't no such thing as a baby Christian. Uh, that's just a slip of tongue right there, because you're not a Christian. People say, I've always been a Christian. No, you ain't neither. You were born a sinner. Every baby sinner in a Christian home learns this song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? And we need to know that. And this world needs to know that. They need to understand that Jesus does love them. Jesus died because he loves them. Jesus came because he loves them. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater loveth then hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Say amen. Now look at, look at the last point. And this is where we're going to hunker down right here. Look what it says. Look what it says. Not only the lesson he reminded, the love he revealed, we see he revealed his love in God's giving and in God's gift. All right? But then see this. I want you to see the loss that he rebuked. The loss that he rebuked. Look what he says. <clears throat> he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And what, you know what Jesus is saying? You was condemned before I got here. I'm not, I'm not saying anything I'm saying to condemn you. You already there. Here's, here's what that'll solve. How could a loving God send anybody to hell? A loving God's not. Hell was not created for one single human being. According to the scripture, hell was created for the devil and his angels. Well, what did God do about it? He sent his son to keep you from going. Y'all with me? Well, I don't want to go to church because when the preacher preaches, I feel condemned. No, no, that's not the preacher doing it. Y'all with me? He said, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Light is coming to the world. To reveal. See, that's the problem. How many of y'all have ever, <clears throat> how many of y'all have ever had a, 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 a dirty windshield? <laughs> how many of y'all have ever had a dirty windshield at night? How many of y'all have never realized how dirty that windshield is till somebody comes with the light shining? Brandy. That child had the dirtiest windshield I've ever seen in my life. I borrowed her car and had to go to Tennessee, and I had to stop halfway there at Walmart and get me some glass cleaner. You know, them, them portable guns you can just snatch out, and it's on the rack, and I left it in the console of her car. And I, I'm not going to say I bet money, but I guarantee you this, it has never left that spot right there. <laughs> Have you ever used one of those wipes, ever? Ah, I know it, I knew it. You're going to kill me when we get home. <clears throat> but what happens? When you're coming in an oncoming car, the light hits it. Boy, you can see how dirty it really is. You know what happened? You know what made everybody so angry? Because Jesus is the light. And when the light shines, everybody saw how really dirty they truly were. Listen, salvation is a wonderful thing. And salvation does not come by religion. If we take anything from this lesson whatsoever, we need to understand salvation does not come by religion. 
Because Nicodemus was a very religious man, but he was still empty. And he was still seeking. And he was lost. But Jesus told him how to get saved. It's not in what you do. It's in who you know. And all God's people say it. Now, we run out of time, but just start, start there. Just put, your, just put your little marker right there and read through the rest of that chapter, and we'll pick up right there next week. Uh, uh, I'm not going to try to finish the rest of this. Just, we'll just go what, what we got and then start next week in the rest, all right? Hey, how many of y'all will help me pray for all the families that's been, been hurting this week? Let's pray that God will help them, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the touch of God in this place. I pray that you'll guide.